Good morning, and welcome back to Word Here and There, Inspirational Plus. I am Carolyn, your podcast host. All cleaned up. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Romans three twenty three, verse 24. So, you're not perfect. No one is. So you make mistakes. Everyone does. Don't let yourself fall into the trap of looking around at others and thinking they have their lives all together. And since you don't, you must be a failure. It just isn't so. The Bible confirms that all of us are sinners. All of us fall short of God's glory. The hope that covers this depression fact is that Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. His death and resurrection cleaned us up and presents us to God as a brand new. That's a fact. So don't get down on yourself for repeated failures and sins. Look at the hopes of Christ's gift to you. I have a couple of short things, stories, uh, to talk about today. And recently, if you remember the fight in in Iran over the women wearing the, the headpiece, well, there was a lady that won a Nobel Prize. Okay, here's the story. The winner of this year's Nobel Prize, Iranian rights active activist Nardis Mohami, wears many hats. She is the mother of twins, a devoted wife of a husband forced into exile, and a former engineer and journalist. The prize was given to her as the undisputed leader of the whole freedom movement in Iran. Perhaps the hat she wears most proudly is that of a political prisoner. She is still a prominent leader of other women in prison sentenced simply for their views on the shedding of their hijabs, which is their head wrap. Women account for many, if not most, of the more than 20,000 people arrested since Protestants erupted a year ago after the death of a young woman in the police custody for not wearing proper head covering. Miss Mohammadi herself has been in and out of prison for 25 years since her university days, often enduring solid, solitary confinement or harsh interrogations. In her two-volume book titled White Torture, she interviewed many of these women not only to document the regiment cruelty and illegality, but others to discover the antidote to torture. Torture can lead deep wounds. The book finds, but fails to achieve, what the ruling Mullins intend. The Islamic regiment cannot separate a woman from her love for her family, her fellow citizens, or her God. Women under harsh interrogation found that the desire to live freely alleviates their suffering, gives them strength to continue. Some found certainty in the ultimate victory of the truth. Muslims turned to Islam for solace. My Christians called out to Christ. Under interrogation, a woman's inner sense of responsibility emerges to take care of herself and those who are emotionally and politically close to her. That the book is not about silence stoicism, but about how the woman in prison learned to build something more powerful than individual survival. They build networks of solidarity. Women use the humiliation of prisoners as a spiritual experience to make themselves and others stronger. Nazanin, sorry, I'm not pronouncing this right, Zahari Radcliffe, who was formerly imprisoned 
and shared his cell with Miss Mohammadi in the notorious even prison, responded to the reward winning of a Nobel Prize by saying, It makes me cry. She did so much for all of us in Evan. Nardis is an inspiration and pillar to the women in the female ward in Evan. I guess that's the name of the prison. For her fearless fight against violations of women's rights, use of solitary confinement, and execution in the judicial system in Iran. In a commentary last month for the New York Times, Miss Mohammadi wrote from prison that the struggle will continue until the day when light takes over darkness and the sun of freedom embraces the Iranian people. Many like her have already found that light. And I hope they do. Someday they will be able to do that. Our story today is Taking Action. I was on a Taconic State Parkway in New York, headed for Vermont. I was just a few miles away from my favorite rest stop, a dinner just off the parkway on Route 295 in Chatham. I made this trip often and always stopped at the diner for a cup of coffee. But on this particular day, just before the exit, I passed out. As I slumped forward, my chest hit the steering wheel and I came to, came to with a start. I couldn't have been out for more than a few seconds because I was still driving in my lane and still doing 45 miles per hour. I pulled off at the next exit into the diner's parking lot. I sat in my car for over an hour, having a full-blown panic attack. My weekend getaway was done, but that was okay. I just wanted to go home and stop feeling so awful inside. I trembled for the entire two-hour drive home. Just a few months before, I had ended a three-year abusive relationship. It wasn't easy walking out the door. My confidence and self-esteem had eroded away to nothing. But when the death threats started, I knew it was time to go. Because I worked for the man I had just left, I was out every job, home, and money as soon as the door closed behind me. Going back to my parents' house was my only option. Within a few short months, I was really feeling much stronger, healthier mentally and physically, and determined to put all the abuse behind me and move on. But after the mishap on the highway, something happened that I didn't expect. Driving now terrified me. That ill-fated trip would be the last time I drove anywhere for the next year and a half. I stayed home and eventually became too afraid to leave. My world got smaller and smaller. But then the best possible thing happened. I became ill. Becoming ill meant I had to see a doctor. To see a doctor, I had to leave the house. My illness wasn't easy to diagnose. Over the counter of several months, I went to see many doctors and was sent to different hospitals. Leaving the house became easier each time, and soon it was no longer an issue, but I still couldn't drive. My father drove me everywhere. Eventually, he realized he was only enabling me, and he knew he had to stop. One day, he said, you need to get in your car and go for a drive. I can't drive you anywhere anymore. Just the thought of driving the car caused me to have a panic attack. I said to my father, I can't. I'm not ready. I don't know how to help you get over this, he said. You need to find someone who can help you. The only thing I can do to help you is to stop being your chauffeur. I would do anything to please my father. So after I sulked for a while, I began looking through the yellow pages for help. This was during the early days of the internet, 
so doing a Google search on phobia clinics wasn't possible. It took weeks to contact all the doctors, hospitals, and clinics in the area that specialize in the treatment of anxiety and phobias, and to receive and read all the information they sent. I chose the White Plains Hospital because it was the closest and their treatment program was the most comprehensive. My treatment started with a phone consultation. At the end of it, the doctor said, we have a self-help group that meets once a week. I think you should start coming to that. And then, whoa, I said abruptly. The only way I can get to those meetings is to drive there. I can't do that. If I could drive to White Plains, I wouldn't need your help. I thanked the doctor for his time and hung up. When I told my father what happened, he stood up, reached into his pocket, and pulled out his keys. Here, he said, go for a drive. I can't. You can. Just go up and down the driveway, and when you can do that, drive to High Street and back. High Street was only two houses away. I could read the street signs from the living room window. When you can do that, he continued, drive to the end of the road and back, then drive around the block. After that, go to the library, the corner store, or the post office. Each location was no more than a three-minute drive from my house. But then his plan got a lot scarier. Each day, drive a little bit farther. When you can go to the grocery store, you can get on the highway. It's only a five-minute drive to the first exit. Get off there and come home. Then drive for the second exit. Keep working at it until you can drive to White Plains. With my mouth agape, I looked at my father in horror. I was certain he had gone stark, raving mad. Within a few moment, days, so pleased my father, I was driving up and down the driveway to High Street and back until the end of the road. That was easy, but the rest took time. I drove a little bit farther every day, and it was scary. Four months later, I walked into the self-help group at the Anxiety and Phobia Treatment Center at White Plains Hospital. My anxiety level was at a 10, the highest level possible, and it would remain there for many months. But I learned how to cope with this anxiety, and the panic attacks eventually dis dissipated. As I began to overcome my fear of driving, my world became much bigger, and I was much happier. One day, I awoke early and decided to go for a drive. Three hours later, I called my father and said, Guess where I am, Pop? I'm in Vermont. It was a triumph moment, but in no way did it mean I was cured. Driving long distances to places I've never been before still causes me anxiety. I still use the coping mechanism I learned so many years ago. They still work, and I can drive in spite of the anxiety. From my father, I learned one of the greatest lessons of life. You think you can't, you can't. But when you tell yourself you can, you can do anything you set your mind to. This is Carolyn with Word Here and There Inspirational Plus. Take care of yourself and have a good day.